Good evening. Let's uh, pray before we begin. My name's Mark, and if I haven't met you yet, I look forward to it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for heavenly worship tonight. And thank you for your church. Help us, Lord, to have a revelation of your church as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Why church? Why do we need church post-pandemic? It's a good question. I can sit on my sofa and I can be digitally connected. I can have more Christian apps on my phone than I've ever had before. Why Sunday church when my small group has actually been a great forum for getting me through lockdown? When as culture says, I, I can stay at home and have spirituality without religion. Why church? For many years before becoming a Christian, I distrusted church. I worked in the arts. I was a theater director. I was skeptical of authority and institutions. I was bored with the church. My childhood experience of going to church at Easter and Christmas was it was a bit like exploring those dinosaur bones in a museum. There was a kind of echo of something amazing. But where was the life? Where was the roar? Where was the awe? It just didn't seem to be there. But today I love the church. I just love it. And yet many of us have done without it for 18 months. So why do we need the church? What does St. Paul, the writer of our scripture, say about why he thinks it's so vital to each one of us? Now, as a devout Jew, Paul would have been used to the Old Testament metaphor of husband and wife. In the Old Testament, it's used as a metaphor for Yahweh, the Old Testament God's relationship with Israel. But here he's using it about Jesus' relationship with the church. And from it, we learn three things that are important to Jesus for his church. We learn we're his beloved, we're his body, and we're his brilliance. So his beloved. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. The principal thing that scripture describes Jesus loving is the church. We are his object of love. We are his priceless treasure. Jesus carries the church on his very heart. We can't just have a one-to-one -one relationship with him. It's not like that. He and the church are intimately linked. They're, they're having a dating experience. And at his second coming, they'll be joined in marriage. He and the church are going to be inseparably united. That's him and us. And if we follow Jesus, we imitate what he loves. And he loved the church. But the phrase, Jesus loved the church, it doesn't just say that he loved the church. It also implies something about the extent to which he loved the church. I can still remember 
Clearly, 11 a.m. on the 11th of the 11th month, November 2001, it was the moment where I surrendered my life to Christ and I came into the church. It was the day and the time that God's kindness drew me to repentance. I just fully understood that Jesus, in the words of our scripture, gave himself up for me. Literally in the Greek here, he delivered up his body for me. And I understood what he'd done for me on the cross. He died for me so that I might be set free. But it was a picture from scripture that really helped me get this. It was a picture of Aslan, the great lion in the land which in the wardrobe, just being laid out on a stone table and having his, his locks shorn in front of a kind of baying, demonic crowd and then being subject to the knife. For us, for us, this brought it home. Such a noble life, such a beautiful life, vilified willingly for the sake of other people, given for us. This is what God does to draw us back into his embracing arms. And as Paul talks here about a husband's model love for his wife, he reminds us that God doesn't save us dispassionately. God's bursting heart informs every step of what he's doing. God longs for every human being to get drawn into living relationship with him. He longs to make us his own passionately, to make us into the church. A few years ago, we did a, uh, an experiment in church where we tried to put the gospel into no more than seven words. And I still remember this one really clearly. Adoption papers, perfect father, signed with blood. That's the gospel. If you find it hard to love yourself, to forgive yourself, if, if that's how you've come to church tonight, this is the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. You're loved, you're forgiven, and you're adopted. And God sets you within his church, or ecclesia is the Greek word, which means gathering or called out. He's called you out from your lostness in the world, and he's grafted you into the church. It's amazing. In Christ, we're brought home. So many people in St. Aldate's walk into this church and they have an experience of coming home. And they talk about it time and time again. I was at the bus stop. I heard the worship music. I came in. Tears came down my face. I felt like I'd come home. Church is where we come home. I asked two people in St. Aldate's this week what church meant to them. Not up here, emotionally, in their gut. A woman said, sanctuary, home, a place of safety, where you can be fully yourself with others and come alive. And then I asked a man, and he said, I don't really want to go there, but when I'm there, I find I'm fully alive, things feel in color. Now, when I accepted Jesus as Lord, I still had issues with the church. I was a kind of high-functioning mess when I came into the church. I was a successful theater director. I had very high standards when it came to excellence in music and visuals. And I didn't think the church was very good at all this. 
So, you know, I, was, I kind of made a bit of a nuisance of myself. It's not like St. Alden's, you know, in the church that I grew up in. Nothing technically ever goes wrong at St. Alden's, as we well know. As a low-functioning mess when I came into the church, I just knew I'd discovered something that I wasn't going to find anywhere else. I wasn't going to find it in the, the highest places in the arts. I wasn't going to find it in the world. It was something I could find nowhere else. This was the place of grace. This was the place where I was, could be known and accepted and loved fully for myself. On a good day in church, we come to celebrate our rescue, the freedom that Jesus has won for us. We come to gather around him in worship like we've done earlier. The one who fashioned you in your mother's womb, the one who's numbered the hairs on your head, who gives you gifts, who understands the beginning from the end and your purpose in life. We come to worship him, the one who gives you his church as his means of grace, so that you can encounter him daily and be fed, to be part of his greatest treasure, the means by which he continues to save his people and extend his kingdom, the church, God's master plan for the salvation of the world. The American writer Anne Lamott puts it like this, I live for Sundays. It's like going to the spiritual gas station to fill up on fuel and clean the dirty windshield and mirrors. I usually show up nuts, self-obsessed, vaguely agitated, and I am at once reminded not of who I am, but whose I am. Stay away from church, and you're, you're like a friend of the groom who hangs out with him on his stag day and has a fantastic time, and throws himself into it, in fact, wants to live every day as a stag day with the groom, and who's not interested in going to the wedding, who's not interested in the day where we greet the arrival of the exquisite, beautiful bride. The stag party isn't the main event. God's eyes are on the wedding. Now, on a bad day, we come to church, perhaps, just finding it hard to feel hope, or maybe appalled by the sufferings of the world. And then we come, we just acknowledge our desperate need for grace, or, or the world's desperate need for grace. Or as the Aussie theologian Ben Myers puts it, we come because of Adam, the old Adam, who turned away from God and brought fracture and darkness upon the human race. Myers writes this, I don't go to church for myself. I go because of Adam. When Sunday morning comes, I drag old Adam out of bed. I make him get dressed and I put shoes on his feet. I brush his teeth. I lead him out the door. I force him to go to church. And I expect that if I keep dragging Adam every Sunday along to church, he might eventually become a Christian. And if he becomes a Christian, who knows, perhaps in time, he will even become that rarest and best of things, a genuine, proper, fully functioning, bona fide human being. You see, we don't go to church principally. 
We don't go to church primarily because of our personal desires, although we dearly hope that you love to come here. No, church is the glorious witness of what Jesus Christ, the new Adam, has done to redeem the old Adam in us. Church is about what Jesus has done for us. And the door to church should be open wide. And we should always be seeking to wedge it even wider. Because Jesus is the righteousness for everyone who believes. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Whoever you are. Whatever you've done. Jesus sets the the bar so low, frankly, that a, a snail could get over it. If you're a fresher, just arrived here through the sweat of your brows, welcome to Oxford and well done. Well done. Now, however much you've sweated, in this place, you can relax. In this place, you can relax. Because none of us are here, you'll find out, as a result of our high performance. Whatever we do or don't do in the world, we come together here, united by our low performance. The church is where we unite in recognizing that we need a savior. I met a new couple last week. They're coming to the morning service every week. They're driving 50 minutes to get here. I said with some incredulity, why on earth are you coming that far? And they said, because we're thirsty and there are streams of living water here. That's what they said. And when they, they said, when we come in here, we know we're beloved. So we come to church to, to praise Jesus for our salvation and, and that of everyone else here. That's why we get off our sofas. And then second, we're his body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. What sort of love is Jesus' love for the church? It's an embodied love. It's up close and personal. It isn't that Jesus can't work digitally. It's just that I prefer to give my wife a hug than communicate my affection to her by email. It's just better that way. And it's a love compared with Christ loving the parts of his own body in real time and in real space. The point is he gave up his body to pain and death and then rose again so that we now might enter his body. This body The church, his body, is a physical body. Paul describes it in different ways. He describes it as a household. He describes it as a family. He describes it as a body. Those are all physical things with physical attributes, which is why God is pleased that you're physically here tonight. And then he draws us into the church as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is entirely different from when we go uh, to a sporting event or a gig or a party with other people. They're mates. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, bonded by blood. 
He set us in a kingdom family. And he's set us in a kingdom family so that we're not alone. You've been saved into community, adopted into the family of God. We relate corporately to Jesus. In his letters, Paul uses the phrase, our Lord, 53 times. He says, my Lord, once. He uses the words brothers and sisters 139 times in his letters. It's not just that God is now my father and I'm his son. Vital though that is, the church isn't God's expression of one-to-one personal relationships with each one of us. He's created a family of sons and daughters who are all one in Christ. For Jesus and Paul, church is a family. Salvation is a community-creating event. It's not a sofa-creating event. We're held together supernaturally by his grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. We're not separated by background or gender or race or ideology here. It's not that we disavow those differences. It's just that they're not the most important thing to God. In his eyes, the crucial thing is that we're sons and daughters of Christ and brothers and sisters. And that's a powerful sign to our culture in an age of hostile tweets and and tribalism. When I finally fell in love with the church, I I realized God's church is not an instrument for my personal convenience or for my personal growth in Christ. You are not bit players in my personal drama. God's grafted us together into his family, and he's done that so that we can love each other and spur each other on. In 1 John 3, 16, St. John writes, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus' two greatest commandments, you'll remember them. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then number two, enjoy encountering my presence on your sofa before you watch Netflix. No, no. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And as church, we love in close proximity. Paul's analogy is of Jesus loving the very thing closest to him, which is his own physical body. And as his body, he feeds us. He gives us... Uh, preaching and teaching, and he feeds us with his body and blood through the bread and wine. And as his body, he cares for us like we care for our bodies. He comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort those with with the comfort that we've received from him. We sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. That's why he wants us in family. My brothers and sisters in Christ encourage me but they also show me fantasies that I have about myself and then generously disabuse me of those. So we just, as a family, come back recently from Cornwall. And as we were setting off from Cornwall, it was about dusk and it was a baking hot day and I adjusted the driver's side mirror and the, the, the mirror immediately shattered and fell onto the road, kind of came out of its bearings. And we used, a, we used a phone and we found out that, that actually there was a store just up the motorway 
that was going to be open at 7 o'clock, extraordinarily, on a Sunday night, where we could get a replacement mirror to stick on, which was what we needed, because we were driving back to Oxford. And driving on the motorway, I needed my son, Finn, who was in the back seat, to, to cover me every time that I wanted or needed to overtake. I couldn't see any cars in my blind spot. And without his help over time, I, I literally would have imperiled not just my life, but my family's life. We all have spiritual blind spots. We all have character blind spots. And our brothers and sisters in our small groups are those voices from the back seat shouting, no, or yeah, good to go. There are mirrors. And then in the church family, God gives different gifts to different parts of the body to build up and encourage one another. We give ourselves away as Jesus gave himself away for the church. This is how we're spiritually formed. If I was free myself to, to, to get involved in serving in church at the moment, the thing I would do without a hesitation is I would join the team for all day its kids in the mornings at the 10 o'clock service. I've just noticed that people who work on that team are some of the most spiritually alive people in the church, in my humble opinion. Just, a, just an observation. So if you want to accelerate your spiritual growth, go there. Get on team there. And then as church, we evangelize the world. We, we lose our lives in order to gain them. The church is the visible sign of Jesus Christ in the world. And that's our call, to love the lost and seek the poor and help to draw them into the center. I believe God really spoke to me about this this week. First through a prophetic picture, which a member of our staff, Tom Curtis, had uh, at our Arise evening on Wednesday. So we were just worshiping, and this is what he saw. He saw a huge boxing glove on a long stick, punching up through the roof and making a huge hole in it. That's what he saw in the spirit. And then a few minutes later, Emily Berry came to the front and talked about the friends lowering the paralyzed man through the hole in the roof to Jesus in Matthew 9. And I just believe God is saying we need to create openings for people to come in from unusual places in this season. Maybe unexpected people making unexpected entrances. G.K. Chesterton said, the church is a house with a hundred gates and no two men enter at exactly the same angle. We need to be ready with our welcome. And then the second thing, God also spoke to me about our church and the poor through a conversation with Dave Portway, who leads our ACT ministry to ex-offenders and those vulnerably housed. And uh, Dave told me about Harvey Kohn, who was an American missionary who went to Seoul in South Korea. And Harvey Kohn uh, wanted to minister to the prostitutes who used to, used to gather around the American military air bases. And, uh, and so he planted a church. And um, for a year, he, he, he led that church. And like two prostitutes came into the church. I mean, it was just pathetic. It was dismal. 
And, and then God spoke to Harvey Con after a year. And he said, Harvey, there's something wrong with your heart. You're thinking of these women as sinners. They've been sinned against. They've been sinned against. And that changed something in Harvey Con's heart. And because of that, he ministered differently and he thought about these women differently. And within a year, there were 300 women in that church. Jesus loves those on the edges, on the margins. And like a bread maker, he likes to fold in those who are on the edges into the center of the dough. And I just think that's a word for us in this season. Do we, do we allow our hearts to become tenderized so that we go out and seek the poor and seek to draw them into the center? We're made to live in church family. We're not made to live in splendid isolation, not on our sofa. It seems to me Jesus could have had an amazing time on the first century equivalent of a sofa, communing with God. He could have done that 24-7, but he didn't. He was out getting close and personal with other people, seeking the lost, supping with sinners. And that's what he calls us to do. You see, to embrace spirituality without religion is to misunderstand Christianity fundamentally. One, it's not religion. That's salvation by works, not by grace. It's not religion. And secondly, it's not abstract spirituality. Christianity is a spiritual life discovered and lived in physical community. And then thirdly, as well as being Jesus' beloved and body, the church is his brilliance. Christ loved the church to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Unlike human love, unlike my life, love for my wife, which is, can be marked by self-interest, Jesus' love is entirely selfless. And therefore, it's transforming. It's continually transforming us. It removes spots, it irons out wrinkles, it purifies us. Culture says transformation can happen in some private interior space, at home, on a sofa, through my own effort. Christianity says it happens together in public, together and only by God's grace. We're saved supernaturally and we keep getting more and more saved, made more whole supernaturally. And this third point, it's about the longest timeline of any of the ones I'm talking about, of Jesus' deep, transforming work in each one of our lives. The word Paul uses for, ra for radiant here, for a radiant church, it's endoxos, which means glorious, worthy of esteem, worthy of being given glory. And it comes from the word doxa, which is the word generally used for God's glory. In other words, the implied picture is of the church gathered around Jesus, who the writer of Hebrews describes as the radiance of God's glory. Paul in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We who with unveiled faces 
all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Spirit of the Lord. And the word that Paul uses there for to reflect, it means to mirror, to mirror. We in the church are to gather around Christ, looking right into his radiance, and then mirroring it back to the world. Now, you might ask, what about abuse and scandal in the church? It's a very good question. How is that a sign of this radiant church that Paul says Jesus is creating? But, of course, tragically, it's not. It's not. And abuse and scandal in the historic church and the contemporary church is a terrible thing. And we need to lament of it. But this is precisely what Jesus is doing in exposing such abuses. This is part of his purifying work that Paul's talking about, bringing darkness into the light so that the church's radiance can shine unhindered. His seven letters to the local churches in the book of Revelation, they testify he's not given up on the church, even if we have sometimes. But he's got very exacting standards for it. Glory fills us with awe of the Lord. And when that happens, it tends to bring us to our knees in repentance. That's what happens to Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 6. He sees the glory of the Lord in the temple and it takes him to his knees. But it doesn't drive him away from God. It draws him into the arms of God further. And we then read this. He heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. God doesn't mean his glory to be locked up behind four walls. As church, we're called out and then we're sent out. The church sends out its people. Why? So that we might become Jesus' radiance to the world, carriers of his presence to others, so that together we can imagine transformation in our communities and our workplaces so that we can join in with God in the renewal of all things. I began by asking, what on earth is the point of church? I think what Jesus would say is, what in heaven is the point of the church? Because church is the place of heaven come down. Church is where you're called to be a coal in the fire, gathered around Jesus in worship, to become the purest filter possible by which others can be saved and blessed, and made into a spotless bride together so that Jesus' kingdom can come now partly and fully when he comes again. When the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, he summed up church like this. We are a salvation people. This is our speciality. Getting saved and keeping saved, and then getting somebody else saved, and then getting saved ourselves more and more, until full salvation on earth makes the heaven within, which is finally perfected by the full salvation without, on the other side of the river. Well, we've come a long way from me on my, on my sofa. I just want to end by taking you to my favorite church in the world, barring this one. And um, it's a mega church. It's about 20 to 30,000 people. You, that might not be what you think, 
my favorite church would be, but there people gather to worship Jesus and to minister to the poor and to pray for the evangelization of their nation. And you reach it through streets of mud and you leave it through streets of mud and the stench of refuse is constantly in your nostrils. Because this is the persecuted church. This is the cave church in Cairo. Literally hacked out the side of a mountain by the people living there. They're the men and women who collect the rubbish in Cairo on donkey-drawn carts. And it's just a place of incredible beauty. And it's a place where the glory of God comes. And that's church. And this is church. We're church. And Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the holder of the keys of death and Hades, who gave his life for you, who writes to the angels of his churches, just like that, he invites you to honor his church again tonight. How? By giving your heart to the church, just like he did, even unto death. By getting into his family to get fed and then allow your body to be broken so you can become food for others. And by getting into his glory and then mirroring that glory to a hurting world. Amen. Let's stand.